0: or maybe even family members, fall away. It's really difficult. Uh, it's a challenge that we have to deal with day by day. So recently, I set out to, to try answer a, an important question, and that is, why do Christians fall away? Why do Christians fall away? And in addition to that, for those of us who perhaps never fall away, we, we still come, why are some of us, why, why do we have such a hard time Praying like we ought to. Why do we have such a hard time sometimes studying as much as we know we should? Why do we have such a hard time doing a lot of the things that we know we should do when we we want to do, but sometimes we just don't. And on the other hand, there's there's some of us, uh, some among us who make it seem almost easy. They they know their Bible and they're reading all the time, and it seems almost every day they're having 13 Bible studies with people and. What's the difference between me and the people who can do all of that stuff? And what's the difference between me and the people who have fallen away? That's what I want to direct our minds on this morning. And what I found out as I was thinking about this question is that there's one trait of character that if we develop, if we develop this one trait of character, I believe it will do more to help us be successful, and that entails us remaining faithful and Uh, growing and doing all the things that we ought to it will help us to be more successful as Christians than almost any other one single thing now if you want this lesson to be really interesting for you this morning this one trait of character can be not only applied to Christianity but also to school for anybody who's in school to work for those of us who work for living to marriages, for those who are married, to whatever you set your mind to do, this one trait of character that we'll be looking at this morning will help you to be successful in all of those areas. This trait of character is referred to many times, many, many times throughout the Bible. Um, I've chosen just a few examples to look at. And in addition to that, even modern studies from researchers and psychologists and people at fancy schools... Even, even secular studies bear this out as well, and it's, it's really kind of amazing to me to think how often modern secular people will, quote-unquote, discover new amazing things that the, the people in the Bible wrote about hundreds or thousands of years before. But anyway, um, I, I want to share this with you this morning. Before I tell you what it is, I want to tell you a little bit about how these researchers that, that I was reading about, how they conducted their studies and what they learned. So the first thing that we're going to look at is the National Spelling Bee. The National Spelling Bee, this is, uh, they basically followed elementary school students and middle school students who can spell words like that, okay? And and all of those words are English words, if, if you can believe it. And they all have meanings. They're not, I, I didn't just, you know bang on the keyboard, those are actual words. Not only are those actual words, those are words that some kid in middle school spelled in front of thousands of people on a nationally televised uh, TV program, the National Spelling Bee, and they spelled it correctly. And I believe all of those were actually winning words. So we have appogitura, and, and I didn't know how to say all of these. I had to look it up. Um, and I had to actually have the computer pronounce it for me. I couldn't, I couldn't do the, the pronunciation key. So appogitura, gay dupon, stronger, uspracht, symatricus, Fancy words, yeah. But there's like elementary school students and middle school students who enjoy reading dictionaries for their fun, you know. Um, these are the kids who who spend... Uh, seven, eight hours on a Saturday reading dictionaries and studying words and learning that, oh, Usbracht comes from German and it means this, and this is the root word. These are crazy kids. These are are not normal kids. Um, These are kids who are extremely successful at what they do, at something that's very hard to do. So these researchers... They, they basically gave kids a survey. They asked them questions before they went through the spelling bee. And based upon how the kids responded, the researchers were able to predict with a shockingly high degree of accuracy which ones would be very successful. They would stay in and study and do really well and go very far in competition. And the ones who, like me, would drop out. I, I think I did uh, the spelling bee for like two days in elementary school. It was great, and then I, I dropped out. It was, it was too much studying. Um, so they were they were able to predict who was going to stay and who would be extremely successful, and who would drop out and uh, be a failure. But that's not it. They also followed cadets at West Point Military Academy. If you don't know, it's a military academy for the Army, and uh, they it's basically a college for kids right out of high school. They train officers for the Army. And If you don't know anything about West Point, West Point is extremely extremely selective in in who they let in because West Point is basically fully funded. It's a full ride. If you get into West Point, you basically don't have to pay anything of it. And the interesting thing about that is if in a regular school someone goes to goes there for a couple of years and then their junior or senior year, they drop out, they go to a different school, they transfer or something, that's fine. Those colleges can basically just bring in people who are uh, in their third or fourth year and they just fill their spots, so it's no problem. But West Point, in West Point, you have to go through the first year, then the second year, then the third year, then the fourth year. So if someone drops out in their fourth year, they can't just bring someone in. They have to replace that student all the way at the very beginning. So it's extremely... Uh, expensive. It's to the tune of somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million dollars for each student that drops out of West Point. Half a million dollars. That's out of my pocket, and your pocket, because taxpayers, that's, that's what we pay for. Um, so they, they are extremely uh, interested in knowing why certain cadets drop out. And if they can determine that this person looks like he or she may drop out, we're not going to let them in. So they have lots of different ways of measuring Uh, who will be successful and who will not be successful. The first year in particular, this is, uh, you can see how much fun the the young guy is having at at the bottom there. This is after, I believe, a 12-mile march or run, and they're cooling down now, having, having a lot of fun doing that. The first year is called Beast Barracks. And if you can't imagine from the name, it's very, very difficult, and a lot of people end up dropping out. Okay, And West Point carefully measures and gauges how likely the cadet is to drop out, and they got pretty good at it. But what these researchers did, they gave the same survey or similar survey to the, to the cadets coming in. And they were better able to predict which students or which cadets would stay in and which ones would drop out and fail, even better than the experts who have been doing it for years and years and years and years. And years. So, it's really interesting research. They also looked at uh, not, not only the Spelling Bee and West Point, they looked at teachers and salespeople. They study teachers who happen to work in very rough neighborhoods where the turnover rate is very high. Many teachers, uh, they'll start and before uh, the school year is out, they will have quit. You know, these kids are sometimes just awful, terrible, and they're mean, and bad stuff is happening, and they quit. Or for those who do stay on, they measured how successful they were in, in imparting the knowledge that they were supposed to impart. And also salespeople, they studied private companies, and they asked which of their salespeople were going to keep their jobs and which ones would quit. And out of the ones who kept their jobs, who would make the most money? Who would be the most successful? Now, in all of these very different contexts... These researchers were able to predict with very high degree of accuracy who would be successful, who would fail. What is that attribute that they measured? It wasn't IQ. It wasn't social intelligence. It wasn't good looks or physical health or even talent. What they measured was grit. Grit. Now, if someone asked you, what is grit? What would you say? What would you say? Think about what you would say. If someone asked you to explain it to them, how would you define it? Some of the questions from the, the survey that the researchers asked were, uh, included these. If new ideas and projects distract you from previous ones, if you have been obsessed with a certain idea or project for a short time but later lost interest, if you set a goal but later pursued a different goal, if you have difficulty maintaining focus on something that takes more than a few months to complete, and you would answer each question basically on a scale one to five, this applies to me, this doesn't apply to me. If, if all of those things sound like you, then you're a lot like me. You're not very gritty. Because I like to start a new project and then do something else and then start something else and then I'll get distracted and all of these things that's, that's me so when I was hearing these researchers saying this I was like hmm uh, I, maybe I should pay attention uh, on the other hand some of the other questions that they asked was if setbacks don't really discourage you if you describe yourself as a hard worker if you finish whatever you begin if you describe yourself as a diligent person then chances are you are quite gritty grit Grit, some people would describe it as good old-fashioned persistence in hard work. Persistence in hard work. It's the combination of zeal plus stamina for long-term goals. The script reading that, that Brother Gavin just read comes to mind. Grit is sticking with the decisions that you've made day in and day out. Not just for a short period of time, not just for a week, not just for a month, but for a year. And then another year, and then another year, and on, and on, and on. Grit is living life like it's a marathon and not like it's a sprint. So, grit, you know, all right, just work hard and stick to it, and that's all you got to do, and you'll be successful. Well, no, that's that's not what we're saying because, you know, that's not really great advice. Everybody knows that. That's common sense, isn't it? Just work hard, and you'll be successful. Well, thanks a lot. I knew that already. Um, Give me a little bit more. Okay. There's a few component parts to grit. There's a little bit more to it than that. I'm going to look at three component parts. So if you're taking notes, three component parts. The first one uh, in in these component parts help us to understand what it means to be a gritty person. The first one is optimism. Optimism. Matthew chapter 26. As, As we begin talking about optimism, let's all turn, please, to Matthew chapter 26. Now, when we think about optimism, you know, it's not just having a sunny disposition. It's not just thinking, oh, you know, the, this glass of water, it's, it's, te- it's half full. I think it's half full, and that's, that's how I'll think about it. That's how we describe optimism, but that's not really what it is. Not at all. Optimism is how you react to a bad situation. Optimism is how you react to a bad situation. So imagine that uh, you lost your job and you've been struggling for a long time to, to find a job and you, you land a job interview at your dream company. This is the best company that you can imagine going to. And in this job interview, you completely blow it. You just do terrible upon terrible upon terrible. You wake up late and you show up late and you got some uh, chili dog stuff uh Staining on your shirt, and you call the the guy interviewing you the wrong name. He said his name was Larry, and you call him Jerry the whole time. And he doesn't correct you because he don't he doesn't want to make you feel bad. And every question that that Larry asks you, he you you just you have no idea, and you're stuttering and you're stammering. This is like the worst job interview, guys. You don't get the job. Okay, it's not a surprise. You don't you don't get the job. They say thanks. Uh, we'll call you. Okay, you you don't get it. To be an optimist is to take that situation that happened to you and to explain it in a way that immediately turns your attention from all of the failures. So you turn your attention from all of the failures into saying, what can I change so that this doesn't happen again? I woke up late because I set an alarm on my phone, but then my phone died, so I didn't wake up in time. That's why I showed up late. I had a big chili dog stain on my shirt because I was eating a sloppy chili dog while I was driving my car through rush hour traffic and I spilled chili dog on myself. Okay, so well, I'll, I'll remember to charge my phone and don't eat chili dogs in the car. Um, I called the, the guy the wrong name. Maybe write his name down. Maybe ask him his name. Uh, Maybe if I answered all the questions wrong and I started standard, practice the questions. They they ask you basically all the same questions in any job interview ever. Um, If you do all these things wrong, you think of, okay, well, how can I fix it? You'd still be real sad that you you didn't get your dream job interview, but at the very least you say, I'm not going to let this happen to me again. At least I'm going to try not to let this sort of thing happen to me again. On the other hand, that's optimism. Now, pessimism. A pessimist Catastrophizes. That's a word. They catastrophize. This is the person who has the exact same terrible job interview. They, they mess everything up. They don't get the job. But instead of saying, hmm, what could I have done differently? They say, I'm a bad person. I failed because I'm stupid. There's nothing I could do. And I, oh, oh, And they cry and they cry. And they never get to the point where they ask themselves, what could I have done better? I am just a failure as this, or I can never do this right. And, and it, there's a sense of hopelessness with a pessimist. There's a sense of hopelessness. The optimist says, what can I do so this doesn't happen again? This aspect of grit, optimism, makes setbacks overcomable. That's not a word, but I wanted to use it. It makes setbacks overcomable. If you're in Matthew chapter 26, we'll see a perfect example of this. We'll start reading in verse 47. Verse 47. And while he, that is Jesus, was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, when his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. So, yes, Judas betrayed Jesus. That's not a surprise to anyone who's ever read the Bible. Judas betrayed Jesus. He kissed him, and he betrayed him like that. But Judas wasn't the only one who betrayed uh, Jesus that night. Let's jump down to verse 69. Verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know what you're saying. And when he'd gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it. This time is with an oath. I do not know the man. A little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are, you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then Peter began to curse and to swear and saying, I do not know the man. Peter betrayed Jesus that night too. And just a few hours before, Peter said, No, I will die before I betray you. I would rather die then give up on you. So we have two men who messed up. Two men who messed up and we find shortly after this that both men were very, very sorry for what they had done. Judas went back to the people who gave the money and threw it and he announced publicly, I have sinned. I sinned. I shouldn't have done this. Likewise, Peter went off and he cried great big tears, bitter, bitter tears. He cried over this mistake, and, and I'm sure this mistake haunted him for many, many years. But what happened next, after they both got upset, what happened next is what separates Judas from Peter. You see, Judas gave up. He quit. He wallowed in his own self-despair. He let his mistake overcome him, and he ended his own life. Judas never asked himself, What can I do so this never happens again? Peter, on the other hand, also failed, and he also felt the same despair that Judas felt, but Peter didn't stay there. He saw a way out for himself by determining to never betray his Lord ever again. The Peter who just a, a few days before couldn't even stand up to a servant girl he could, he, he, his, his legs turned to jelly and he, he turned into a, a big fat chicken in front of a servant girl just a few days later he boldly defied the murderous counsel to their faces Acts chapter 5 and verse 29 he says no we should obey God rather than man That's optimism. Peter's optimism is what allowed him to make this great change. He said, what can I do differently so that this never, ever happens again? And the cool thing about it is, the neat thing, is that this isn't something that Peter innately had within him because he messed up just like Judas. This was a decision you know, Some people say, oh, I'm an optimist, and oh, I'm just a pessimist, and that's just how it is. No, that's an excuse. Stop it. Peter said, I'm never going to do this again. They both messed up. They're both sad, but only one of them made the right decision. It was a choice that he made. Deciding to be an optimist is just as much a choice as what I put on this morning, or what you put on this morning. It's just as much something that can be learned as is tying your shoe. Or if you can't tie your shoe, uh, one plus one. Equals two. This is something that you can learn. Pessimism springs out of reacting poorly to bad situations, and optimism springs out of reacting well to bad situations. Look at Job and Miss Job. One was a pessimist and one was an optimist. I'll let you figure out who. Job chapter two and verse nine, one of them says, uh, I'm not going to tell you which one. Job chapter two, verse nine, you have to read it for yourself. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. So bad stuff happened to Job and Miss Job, just like Peter and Judas. So bad stuff happened to both of them. And one of them says, curse God and die. Okay? And then someone else says, till I die, I will not put my integrity away from me. My righteousness I hold fast and I will not let it go. Bad stuff happened to both of them. One of them was a pessimist. They reacted poorly to it. One of them was an optimist. They let it make them stronger. Learning how to be an optimistic person is an important part of grit. And, of course, it's an important part of being a faithful Christian. Because hard times... I don't need to tell you this, guys. Hard times comes to everyone. Each one of us go through tough times. And how we react to that can either make us better or it can make us worse. The second aspect of grit that I want to look at this morning is passion. 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 In other words, this is a sustained interest or focus. This is the modern word in the Bible. When we, we read the word zeal, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a sustained passion or sustained focus on something. And go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. We'll, we'll get there in just a second. Now, some people, when they see this picture, Katya, Jonathan, when they see these two pictures, so one is a picture of, of the, the Florida Gators. I think that they're the Florida Gators. I don't know. And uh, that's Josh Grogan over there. So some people, uh, if, if I were to tell you that, um, if you were to tell me that, hey, Evan, I've got some some tickets to the championship Gators game. And they're free. I'm going to give them to you. Uh, would you like to come? Well, I don't know. Not re- Not really. If someone else told me, Hey, Evan, I've got uh, these tickets to a, a uh, Josh Groban concert, and they're free, and they're, they're front row seats. You can, like, he, you'll be so close that he'll, like, spit on you, and you'll, 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 you'll smell them, you're so close. And I'll say, Well, you know, if I don't have anything to do, like if I have to mow the lawn or something, I, I won't go. I, I don't care about these things. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a passion for the Gators and for Josh Groban, but other people do. Other people do. They're very much interested in those things. And, and likely tomorrow, Jonathan and Katya will not like, or they won't uh, any longer not like the Gators and Josh Groban. Does that make any sense? So tomorrow they're still going to like what they like. Okay zeal isn't liking something intensely for a short period of time kids for instance they go through ninja turtle phases you know you have the ninja turtle uh backpack and the ninja turtle pajamas and the ninja turtle bed sheets and you know all the names in the ninja turtles michelangelo and Raphael and donatello and uh the the other one um <laughs> i don't i forgot their names um But then the next year, they're like, oh, I couldn't care less about the Ninja Turtles. Now it's Power Rangers, or now it's whatever. Uh, So that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the Ninja Turtles. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. For adults, it's responsibility. Yes, now I'm going to be responsible, and I'm going to eat right, or I'm going to lose weight, or I'm going to get organized, and I'm going to keep the house clean, and I'm going to start on some project. And then a few days later, we're like, oh, it's too much work. Ignore responsibilities. Lie on the floor. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about things that we're really passionate about. Yeah, I'm, I'm only going to eat lettuce or I'm, I'm going to run six miles every day. And then like you put on your shoes and you're like, ah, oh, these shoes are a little bit tight. I'm not going to go running. That's, that's not at all what we're talking about. We're talking about zeal, deep interests that are rooted and sustained for very long periods of time. Our brother Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, he tells us one big reason why many people fall away, why many people fail to do what they initially set out to do. Paul says people are lost because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. The the word received there doesn't mean that it wasn't given to you or you never had the chance to get it. Like if I say, oh, hey, did you get the uh, did you receive the package that I I mailed to you? And like I never mailed it or it got lost in the mail. No, of course you didn't receive it. You didn't have a chance. It never came to you. That's not what this word means. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse 10. That's not at all what it means. What it means is if I were to say, oh, happy birthday, here is a present. And you say, thank you for this present and walk over to the trash and throw it away. The word receive there means not to uh, never have had it had the opportunity. It means to take up or to take hold of, to sustain it, to bear it, to learn about it, to endure it, and to accept it. That's what it means. It means something that has been made available to you, and you take it and you hold on to it. And like they say, out of my cold, dead hands, you will never pry whatever this thing is. That's, that's the kind of receiving that Paul is talking about here. It's not that people couldn't love the truth if they wanted to. It's that they failed to learn about it. They failed to spend the time with it to love it. And they let it go. Someone might say, well, I just don't really love stuff that much. I mean, there's stuff I kind of like, but I'm not like Katya and I'm not like Jonathan. I'm not like these other people who are like, really? <laughs> really love stuff. Um, that's fine. That's fine. Because of this. Loving something doesn't just happen to you. Loving something doesn't just happen to you. You have to find your way, you have to find ways to deepen your love for something. Okay. You have to find ways to deepen your love for something. In, intense interests are not automatic, they're not immediate, they take time. Yeah, the clock in the heart, get it, okay. They take time, they must be cultivated, they must be worked at. If you would have asked me five years ago, hey Evan, uh, are you interested in boring stuff like marketing, campaign metrics, and uh, strategy, and that's all I. I would have given you a very funny look if I even knew what you're talking about. No. Um, no, I'm not interested in that kind of stuff at all. But after spending the last few years of my life in the industry that I work in, having a job that I have, now what do I do? Oh, I spend my free time reading about. You know, the latest strategy of this and, and how to code the, the minute little thing on this operating system and this browser and how this email thing and whatever, and you guys don't even know what I'm talking about, it doesn't matter, but I'm, I love it. Okay? Um, and not only that, but I look forward to times when I can get together with other nerds just like myself and talk about all this nerdy stuff. And it's something that's really cool to me. And, and you guys are like, oh, Evan, come on, quit talking about it. But I love it. I've spent a lot of time doing this. And at first I was like, oh, this is kind of stupid. But later, I was like, yeah, this is kind of cool. This is really cool. This is just super interesting. That's kind of how it works. When we focus ourselves on, on a particular thing, we discover amazing nuances about it. Little quirks and interesting tidbits that we never knew existed. I, I never knew that uh, bolts and things that Jeff tells me all about all the time, you have to do this and that, and there's a lot of stuff with bolts and nuts and all of this stuff, and I never knew that existed, but Jeff is really interested in that kind of stuff, and that's cool. That's, that's really cool. We, we learned little tidbits about things that we just never knew existed, and we learned to appreciate it and love it. So in turn, we spend more time with it, and then in turn, we, we love it even more, and the cycle continues. Josh Groban and the Gators aren't all that appealing to me because I haven't spent a whole lot of time listening to Josh Groban records, or CDs, or MP3s, or whatever you guys listen to. Um, and and I, don't, I don't know any of the songs. I know like one or two songs that he sings. And I haven't, I've maybe seen like five minutes of one Gators game, and I don't know any of the people on the team. And, and Jonathan's like, these are all the people, and the coach is this, and his wife's middle name is this, and you know he knows all the stats. Um, I haven't spent time doing that, so I don't love that see turn to psalm chapter one psalm chapter one here the psalm writer describes someone who spends a lot of time studying god's word psalm chapter one in verse two here someone is described it says that they spend a lot of time the word is meditating day and night on god's word and wouldn't you guess how that person is described That person is described as delighting in God's word. Can you imagine delighting in in reading this whole thing? Can you imagine looking forward to it like you look forward to your birthday party or looking forward to the new movie or the new whatever that you get all pumped up about and you can't sleep because you're so excited about it? Can you imagine loving this that much? The person who spends time with it does. If you spend your days and your nights reading this, at first it will be eh. but later it will be your delight. It will be your delight. Learning how to cultivate intense, deep desires for something is an important part of being gritty. And it is an important part of being a faithful Christian. We're going to have to hurry up. Ignoring the cost is the third and final aspect that we're going to look at this morning those who succeed the most learn not to feel the costs or drawbacks associated with what they were doing. They learn to put in the time or effort uh, required to reach whatever goal they're reaching, even though sometimes reaching that goal or, or doing what they enjoy is sometimes un- unpleasant. There were, um, there were a few thousand people a few weeks ago who traveled for many, many, many miles and paid thousands of dollars each to sit out in the freezing cold for hours on end. Can you guess what it was? Super Bowl. This isn't actually a picture of the Super Bowl. This is just like this is before the Super Bowl or something. Um, but I imagine it was like that was like 28 degrees or something stupid. Like oh, it's cold, guys, and you pay all that money to watch some guys kick the thing around. I don't know, but. There were all these costs that, to me, would say, no way, I would never do that. But to them, they they said, I don't care. I don't feel any of these costs. I will gladly drive all day and all night, and I will pay $2,000 to sit in the freezing cold and with the guy next to me who's yelling and spilling beer and stuff on me, and I don't care because it's the Super Bowl. That's what they love. They had this this goal or this interest in mind, and they, they kept their focus on it. And then all the things around them that would have distracted you or I, they didn't even feel those costs. They didn't even notice them at all. Look at them sitting there in the cold. <sighs> Learning to ignore the costs is an important part of being gritty. The people who fail the most lose focus on the goal, and then if those people at the Super Bowl would have said, Oh wow, it really is cold here. And wow, the guy next to me really does kind of smell weird. And you know, I should I really have spent, you know, Five weeks of my pay on you know, this ticket? And, you know, well, and, then, and then they start saying, oh, I regret doing this. But they didn't. You know, there was a goal, and they kept their focus on it. And all of the things around them that would have kept other people's away from reaching the goal, they didn't let them do it because they had their focus on the goal. They were unable to ignore the costs. Successful husbands and wives think, uh, tend not to think about all the other women and men that they're missing out on by being married to their spouse. They learn to see that this commitment is really a good thing. This quote-unquote drawback of not being able to you know, do all this stuff that people do isn't really a drawback at all. Technically, it is. You, technically, you are losing out on being able to have certain kinds of relationships with all these different people. But in reality, the companion that you gain in exchange, the focus, is way better than anything that you would have given up. The friend that you get, the confidant, the helper, and much more is, is way more valuable. Parents, look at this. Parents, they, they give up all, all sorts of time. They give up their sleep, they give up their time, they give up their money, and sometimes even their sanity uh, to raise children, don't they? But, but if you would ask them, usually, they will generally say, oh, no, it, was, it was completely worth it. It was totally worth it. Parents don't really talk like that. I talk like that. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was very much uh, the, the benefits exceeded the uh, drawbacks. I don't know how parents talk. Um, the, the joys that they got out of it far outweighed whatever cost that, that other people would, would say would cause them to not really want to do that. Successful Christians give up their time and they give up the money. They give up their, their, their sleep. They give up sometimes their sanity, uh, it feels like, to do what the Bible says. While all of these things at first are a big deal to us, as we grow, as we continue to focus on Christ, our goal, heaven, our goal, we tend to feel these pains less and less. We tend to feel them less and less. Not wanting to wake up in the morning when I was a young child being dragged to church was a pain that I vividly felt. I vividly felt that pain, and I can remember uh, on Sunday afternoon, my brothers and I we would like sort of run away and like sneak and hide and like be real quiet, so that hopefully my parents would forget that it was Sunday and we wouldn't have to go to church in the afternoon. I remember doing that, and I also remember. Uh, opening the, the little piece of paper that my mom and dad would drop in the the tray every week, and then I opened it up and I realized they were giving money, and I was like, oh. and I think I even like exclaimed in in the actual assembly, "You're giving away money!" and and they said, Shh. and I and all I could think about was was, you know, all this stuff we were missing out. If if we would keep that money, all the cool toys and stuff we could buy. Some people never grow out of that selfish phase. They never. Focus on the goal, like they should. All of the costs and drawbacks associated with the goal of Christianity are vividly felt, and they hurt. Philippians chapter four, verses uh, we'll look at verse eleven and twelve. Philippians chapter four, verse eleven and twelve. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere, and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer any. This is a really cool passage, and people are like, oh, wow, Paul, he's such a great person, and I could never do that. But the key here is Paul said he learned to do it. That means that at some point, he didn't very much like being hungry. There was some point in Paul's life where he didn't much care for being shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and, and carried out of the city dead and all this sort of stuff. He didn't much care for that, but... Eventually, by the time he wrote the letter to his Philippian brethren, he said, you know what? Yeah, I have learned that all this stuff is okay. It's okay. Maybe he wasn't wild about it. But he said, I've learned to be content. I'm not going to feel these pains and these costs associated with it. Paul was not really any better than you or I. There's no reason why I can't make that same decision to, you know, whenever I'm having to give up something. You know, that's okay. That's okay. Philippians chapter 3. Turn back just one chapter. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Here Paul is painting a really interesting picture. Back then, back there, are all the things that Paul used to cling to, the, the law and all the ordinances and all the, the, the things that that for the Jews were basically their lives. Especially to a faithful Pharisee, the, the law was everything. It was his life. Now, giving that up would have been a very steep price to pay, and it was for many of the Jews, and they, they never obeyed the gospel. They never became Christians. But Paul said... Since I'm focusing so intently on this goal, I'm able to count all of that as rubbish. I like how the King James Version translates it, dung. Poop. How much do you value poop? How long will you keep and hold on to a piece of poop? Not very long. You throw it away as quickly as you can. It's worthless to you, right? He was focusing on the goal, and he was able to ignore all of the costs that were associated with it. Learning to disregard perceived drawbacks in order to accomplish a goal is a big part of being gritty. And, of course, it's a big part of being a faithful Christian. As we wrap up, I want to look at what grit isn't. What grit isn't. Grit is not talent. That is, It's not something that some people, I hope you've uh, picked this up by now, that some people just have and other people don't. It's something that we choose. Grit is a choice. Actually, what the researchers found, if we go back real quickly to what the researchers found, uh, grit was not related to talent at all, really. And in fact, grit was inversely related to levels of talent. That is, the more talented someone was, the less likely they were to be a gritty person, the less likely they were to be successful. So that's, that's good news for, for me. Um, the more talented you are, the less likely you are to stick with something. The, the more talented you are, the less the, the less failures you tend to have, but the few failures that, that do come up are felt more vividly, and you don't really know how to respond to that. They're, they're not used to falling down and giving getting back up again, but those of us like me who are, are rather mediocre at various things, uh, we fail to do things all the time, and then we learn, ah, this, this is what I can do next time. Okay. It's something that can be learned and it's based upon many small decisions that we make throughout our lives. Am I going to react well to this or am I going to react poorly to this? The grittier kids in the spelling bee were more willing to put in lots of hours of deliberate practice. And deliberate practice is when practicing is no longer fun. So these these weird spelling bee kids, they didn't always enjoy reading the dictionary. Sometimes it was fun to them. But every once in a while, it would get to the point where, ah, this isn't fun. I'd rather be reading some other book or doing something else uh, but they stuck to it they practiced anyway they 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 muscled through it they could think of other things that would that they would rather be doing but they kept practicing sometimes we might think that for this other person talking to people about the bible is really easy for this other person Remembering where passages are when I need to remember them is really easy. They, they know where everything is. And, and quoting passages is just super easy. It's, it's a piece of cake to them. But for me, it's hard. For me, it's frustrating. For me, I get nervous. For me, it's really difficult. But we shouldn't think that way. Here's why because each one of us was born with about the same level of Bible knowledge, right? There's none. Each one of us was born with about the same interest in the Gators and and Josh Groban, none. If someone is really good and comfortable with talking to people about the Bible, you you better believe that the first dozen times they did it, they were kind of nervous. You better believe the first few times they did it, they did a kind of bad job. If someone's really good at, at remembering where verses are, you better believe they had a lot of uh, nights where they felt stupid because they couldn't remember where, uh, what you call it was, and the thing where the guy said uh, the thing, you know what I'm talking about. They had a lot of moments like that, but instead of saying, "Ah, oh, this makes me feel stupid, so I'm never going to do it again, they said, nah, I'm going to work harder so this doesn't happen again. They put the hours in necessary. They chose to turn off the TV. They chose to put down the phone or close Facebook. Or the, They chose to wake up early if they don't have enough time during the day. They chose to, up, to, to give up their free time. They chose to put time into something they wanted to love and they wanted to be good at. They put concerted effort into reaching the goal that was important to them. So what's the takeaway from this lesson as we wrap up? What can we do differently? What can we go home knowing and doing differently as we as we leave this morning. The first one, decide to be gritty. Decide to be gritty, and part of that is, when you mess up, go ahead and cry. It's okay to be upset. You know, gritty people aren't machines. They're not robots. Um, they still get upset at the things when they mess up. But when they're done being sad, they say, "How am I going to learn from this?" Go ahead and cry. But when you're done crying, learn from whatever your mistake was. Second, choose to spend time with what you want to love. Sometimes it's not, it's not just about doing what you want to do. It's doing what you want yourself to want to do. Does that make sense? Doing not, only, not, not just what you want to do, like, oh, I don't want to read my Bible. But I'd like it if I would want to read my Bible. So I'm going to read my Bible. Choose to spend time doing the things that you want to love. And you'll love it more. Forget all the the sleep and the TV shows that you're missing out on. Focus on the goal. Ignore the cost. Forget all the the things that your friends and coworkers and other people might be able to do and get away with and all that sort of stuff. Forget about it. Because the goal of getting to heaven, the goal of hearing, well done, you did a really good job, you've been a faithful servant, and and here's your reward. That's worth it. That's going to be worth it. That indeed is going to be worth it. The people who... Uh, fall away why do some Christians fall away uh, and others don't I think a big part of it is because they they never decide they never learn how to be gritty they never learn how to be gritty it's largely due to this trait of character those who learn it and develop it and choose to make the right decisions and recognize when they can do better they tend to be far more successful not only as Christians but in, in every aspect of their lives Those who refuse to develop it will more often fail. So this morning, let's determine within ourselves to be more gritty. Let's determine within ourselves to be faithful, successful Christians and teach that to others. Go ahead and grab your songbook. In just a second, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And this song is designed to to prick your hearts, to, to make you think, hmm, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? If, if you're a Christian and you haven't really been doing what you're supposed to be doing, if you know that you're not really any better suited to serve God today than you were a year ago, then repent. And repent quickly. Go ahead and determine within yourself. Make it right between you and your God. Also, if you're a Christian and you've done something, you've sinned publicly and you need to take care of it publicly, you have that opportunity, you can come forward as we sing. Also, those of us who who are visiting, maybe you're not a Christian. You have the opportunity, if you know what you need to do in order to be saved, you have the opportunity to to let that need be known as as we sing the song we're about to sing. Or if you'd like to study further, please, you can also let us know. Please come forward now as we all together stand and sing for encouragement. There's a great day coming, a great day coming. There's a great day coming by and by. When the saints and